Miss that uh, great organ music that we've missed for over a year now. So um, anyway, we are trying to get back on track and uh, going in the right direction. By the way, in case any of you think you're too old to be a part of Fast Car, I have a tractor, uh, I believe it's a Hot Wheels tractor. I used it last year and I was accused, it ran slow. I was accused of souping it up. This year I'm souping it up. So uh, be aware, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, see if I can make it work better. Um, but I did lousy last time. So uh, uh, that's just not acceptable. Uh, it's just not acceptable. We're going to be looking at a number of different passages. As you've already been reminded, this is Father's Day. And I'm going to look at a number of myths that have to do with fatherhood. <clears throat> Many of you are done with the fatherhood thing. At least you think you are. But i got to give it. Bob Webb hasn't been here for a while. But what he used to tell me all the time was they, move, uh, they get married, but they never go away. And you're always a father. Uh, Faye, which night was it that I got a call? When, for, Thursday night? Thursday night I get a call. They got married 15 years ago, but they still don't go away. It's... Hey, Dad, the Yukon is acting really bad, and the lights are flashing, and, uh, well, anyway, it's at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and um, yep, I'm out there uh, fixing a Yukon uh, on the side of the road, and, uh, well, anyway, without going into the details, it needed some TLC real quick. Uh, the point is, fatherhood is not simply babies, nothing wrong with that, or teenagers, nothing wrong with that. But fatherhood is a lifelong thing. And as fathers, whether you're a grandfather or great-grandfather, I know we have some of those, you still have a responsibility to live before your children and their children and their children. We still have that responsibility. So, obviously, a father is one who has been part of bearing children and should be married for that process to take place. But I also understand that in this world, there are sometimes there are fathers who never been married. And there are also people who, and I know they've told me in counseling, this person was more to a father to me than my own biological father. And you know what? I really appreciate that. I know uh, we have two uh, grandchildren who are adopted. We treat them exactly the same as the others. But you know what? John and Missy Shirey are the parents to them even more so than their biological parents. And so I want you to understand that when I talk about fatherhood, I'm talking about a man who is responsible for the well-being of one of their children, no matter how that happens. Whether, whether you would agree with how it happened or not is irrelevant at this moment. It's just there's a responsibility that goes with that. But uh, we're going to look at a number of the biblical passages, but the one I'm going to just start with, I'm going to read it because it is written to a man, and it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is something that says you have a responsibility now, but you will not see the results 
for quite a long time, possibly. Children do, indeed, make their own choices. They start that when they're really, really little. You know what that's like. Uh, And uh, they continue to do that. You cannot control their choices, but you can make them wish they hadn't made some of them, or you can encourage them when they make the right ones. And that's what we're going to look at today. So what are those myths? The first myth that I'd like to look at, and uh, can I get some slides up here? Oh, they're not on the back, though. Okay, I didn't realize they're up there. Okay, so I have that. Yep, there's the first one. Okay, if I can get that on the back, I'd appreciate it. That way I know I don't have to turn around. Um, Children come first. It says this in Genesis chapter 18. And it's interesting. Abraham is the father of a whole race of people, a whole nation of people. And God said, I didn't choose him because he's a great political leader. He said, I've chosen him because I want him and I expect him to be a father. Here's what it says. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. And in him all nations of the earth will be blessed. So he says, this is what's going to happen with Abraham. But Here's the kicker for us. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken of him. Notice, it starts with him being a father. Not not a great political leader, but a father. And I have to say that almost everything in life starts at a very small part of life. And it goes out from there. And that's exactly what God said to Abraham in this passage. He says there, I've chosen him. And uh, it's something that it's an ongoing action that he is supposed to be doing. That he may command his children. He chose Abraham because he believed that Abraham is going to be one who does the right thing in the small areas of life. Think about this. Almost all of the things that we do start small. It bothers me when people say, I want to be this, I have this great business, but they're not taking care of the small things now. Or, you know, I'm going to be a wonderful whatever, politician or some other thing, but they're not taking care of the small things. That tells me they're not responsible from the beginning. God is saying, Abraham will be that responsible person. And that's why I've called him. Doesn't mean Abraham was perfect. He absolutely was not. It doesn't believe his, mean his children were perfect. That absolutely isn't true either. But He deals with the issues, and I'll come back to that one in a little while. But what does it mean when he's saying, I will bless Abraham, and and Abraham will be blessed if he does these things, commanding his children? What does that look like in the smallest sense of the word? First of all, in a family, and I'll get to this one eventually, is that in a family, if you think about it, The husband and wife, the marriage, is the hub. Think of a bicycle wheel. They are the hub. 
and the spokes are the children and the work and all the other things that are a part of a family. And then the tire, the big part, is the family as a whole. If you think of it that way, it might help you understand this principle. He's saying Abraham and Sarah, they're the hub. The children go from there, and then the whole package is the tire surrounding that. So what does that look like? First of all, it requires the father to be a teacher. One who is not only saying, but doing what he is supposed to do. So he's going to teach, demonstrate, and be an example to the next generation or the generations that follow. He is going to be that person who can speak up and intelligently and understandably be able to convey to someone else what is true, what is right, what is godly. Number two, someone who sets the standards. You cannot do what a father is supposed to do if you don't have standards. You can teach. That's the information. But now you can say, and in our house, and you've all done this, I don't care what your friends do. In our house, this is the way it is. Anybody heard that one before? Yeah, you've said it, and you've probably been told that. It's like, I don't care what your friends do. They don't live in our family. This is our standard. This is what we demand. There are requirements and there are expectations, and they need to be clear, understandable, and enforceable. You can't just say, do the right thing. No, you have to say, this is true. This is what we expect. And the next one is, there are consequences. Oh, that has never been fun for me. But you know what? If you're going to be a father, you have to be an enforcer. Sorry, it sounds horrible, but you need to be an enforcer. Don't expect your wife to do it. Don't expect the school to do it. Don't expect the policeman to do it. Don't expect anybody else to do it. You have a responsibility. um, And those... Those consequences also need to be specific, they need to be known, and they need to be common sense. Uh, I've seen, as a youth leader and as a pastor, parents having uh, consequences that have nothing to do with what the child did. As a youth leader, long, long time ago, like another lifetime ago, there would be parents and the kids acted up, so they'd say to the kid, you can't go to youth group. And I'm like, what the world? You know, they were talking on the phone when they weren't supposed to. Well, take away the phone if you want a consequence, but don't tell them not to come to youth group. They really need to be at youth group. Never made sense to me. Has to be some kind of common sense that makes some kind of impact for that. And the last one, and this is the hardest one, you need to be consistent. You cannot one day enforce the rules and the next day not. You know what? You have a bunch of frustrated kids who do not know exactly where the barriers and the fences are. If it depends on how God, uh, not God, God doesn't do that. If it depends on how dad feels today, that's not a good good, uh, consequence. It has to be consistent in and out, good or bad, whether it's convenient, whether it's not convenient. It has to be that way. I remember back uh, when our kids were younger, um, Gross's Hardware Store used to be down here in High Spire. Now, Gross's Hardware is filled with 
all kinds of bright, shiny, attractive things. And <laughs> this story is one that I still laugh. I have to laugh because of what happened. Is I remember, and it was John. That should surprise no one. I said, John, because no kid wants to go with dad and stand next to him while he's trying to buy something at the hardware store. That is just not really fun. So I said, John, you can walk around this store and you can look at all the bright, shiny things, but you will not touch any of them. You can look at them and you can go anywhere you want. Small store. He's not going to get lost. You can go and do anything, but don't touch. Well, it wasn't the owner, but it was the, the old guy that worked there forever. He saw John walking around. And every aisle, and I was watching out of the corner of my eye. I was talking to the the owner. I was watching. Every time John went to another aisle, this guy walked to another aisle. And then John went to the next aisle and went there. You know what? (laughs) The the consistency was because before that, John had touched something a time before that. And we went out in the parking lot. And he learned you don't touch things after that. But the point is, you need to be consistent. And if he would have done that, we would have went out in the parking lot again. The point is, children don't come first. You need to be the authority. And it is your responsibility to teach them responsibility. And if they don't be responsible, you have a responsibility to make sure that they understand that you're the authority. So children are not the hub. The husband and wife are the hub. The children are the spokes. They should be the outgrowth from that in the family. Number two, family's not a democracy. This is a newfangled thing that has been around for a while. It's like, well, the kids just want to do this. Some of you are laughing because it doesn't work. Family is not a democracy. I wrote down in my notes on the side, it's a benevolent dictatorship. Nowhere do I find in the Bible that it says, hey, you know what? Let the kids decide. Let's have a family vote. I want to be very clear. There are plenty of places for the family to have a vote and find out, hey, what do we really want to do? In many, many ways. So I'm not saying that never happens. But ultimately is what I'm talking about today. The ultimate is that moms or fathers and moms Um, are God's representatives to their children. Remember, and if that is true, and I believe it to be true, God doesn't say, hey, take a vote at Garden Chapel and decide what Garden Chapel wants to do. Now, we have plenty of opportunity to do that. You're going to do that in a couple of weeks uh, for a number of reasons, new pastor and as well as leaders in the church and a budget and all those things. No problem with those things. But ultimately, we have... A final constitution, God has spoken, and this is the final authority, and we don't vote on do we like what the Bible says or not. Today, that is pretty much the way it goes. I keep a I kind of keep a, a thumb on what's going on in the, the world of the church around us, and it's basically we're gonna vote for this or that, or we're gonna say this is no longer sin, or you know, all kinds of things like that. We don't get a democracy when it comes to God. Carrying it out, how we do it, the method we use, yeah, we can do that. But God has given us instruction, and we need to turn around, and there are bottom line instructions. 
If you say to the kids, where do you want to go on vacation? That's okay. If you're fine with it and you can afford it or whatever, uh, that's fine. Um, Or what do you want for supper? That's fine. But ultimately, the bottom line is a family is not a democracy. Why? First of all, all kids think they know best. I remember being 12 years old and thinking I knew more than my dad. What a dummy I was, you know? (laughs) He let me know that I didn't know what I thought I knew, okay? Uh, But they're, they're inexperienced. I look at the next generation and the generation after that, and I'm like, man, they're so much smarter than I am. I didn't say wiser. I said smarter. And then I realized, no, I have something they don't have. I have experience. I've been through that one, and I know the end of that one. And yes, experience is the most expensive college you ever got into. They call it the school of hard knocks. So if you want to know where the big expenses are, it's hard knocks, because sometimes it costs you a whole lot. But uh, So they're inexperienced. They have incomplete views of what's going on. They see a very narrow. It's like, this is what I want. I want it right now. Well, we have a bigger view as fathers, and they have limited knowledge. And so they are not prepared to make decisions that can, and indeed do, have life long consequences. Think about that. Letting them make choices that are making a huge impact on the rest of their life is not a good thing. You are put there to be the buck stops here. So, but I want to make this very clear. As they get older, you do give them opportunities to make decisions within the parameters of what you know to be good and and safe, and all the other things that you could throw in there. Yeah, as they demonstrate the ability to make good decisions and wise decisions, then you give them opportunities to do additional things. Uh, I remember telling our kids, uh, especially when they were teenagers, if you act like you're five or six years old, I will treat you that way. If you act like a young man or a young woman... You will, get respo- uh, you will get privileges that you will be responsible for. And I believe that that is true. So it's not an absolute they can't make decisions. That would be a dictatorship or authoritarianism. That is just no good. But it does mean that you have to be the one that says, hey, that is really, you know, I know you'd like to do that, and it's not necessarily all bad, but uh, that's not going to happen. You have to be there, the final authority But uh, there is a place, even starting young, to give them additional responsibility of making decisions within, you know, limits. And so uh, just look at it that way. In the New Testament, when it's talking about the leaders in the church, the men leaders in the church, it says of, of elders, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And when it talks about the, the deacons, or we call them the servants, it says, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And then he goes on to say, 
that um, let the deacons be husbands of only one wife and a good manager of their children and their households. That is simply this. It doesn't mean you're a perfect parent. And it doesn't mean you have perfect kids. That isn't true. Nobody fits that description. But a manager is one who does exactly what that word says. They manage. So if there's something that needs to be corrected, they correct it. If there's something that needs to be figured out, they figure it out. They lead. And so when something happens, a manager doesn't... You you don't look at a, a leader in the church or a father and say, his child did this. He's totally disqualified. No, you look at how did he deal with it? Did he manage it well? A number of years ago, we had a a leader at Garden Chapel whose uh, child got in some moral trouble. Came to us and said, you want me to resign because my kid did this. We'll keep it very vague. And um, I said, you know what? Give us a, a month to think about and pray about it. And we did. And I came back and I looked at this exact passage. And I said, you know what? You can do whatever you want, but we're not recommending that you resign. Why? Because you dealt with it as a manager would. You did everything right. You dealt with the child. You instructed them to to, uh, confess where it needed to be confessed and deal with it in a proper godly way. It didn't disqualify him because he was a manager of his own household. Not everybody would necessarily agree with that, that what I, the decision I came up with, and the elders agreed with me. But uh, the point is, a manager is not someone who got it all perfect. Some of you are managers where you work, and some of you have managers or had managers, and you know that a manager has to deal with all the good and the bad. And that's exactly what this passage is saying. So, A dad needs to be in there and deal with the good and the bad and make wise choices in light of the circumstances. Number three, children can figure it out on their own. This one here bugs me. Because there are and there is today, this whole thing is, well, we'll let our children make their own decisions. Now, ultimately, I know that's true. But that's not where it starts. That's not where a father starts or even parents start, is you have to say, no, God put us here, and we need to put into your lives. And today, it's one of these things, and it started years ago where, well, we're not going to take our kids to church. They don't really want to get up a Sunday morning, so we're not going to take them to church. Uh, You know what? And we're going to let them make their own decisions. Yeah, you know what? The information they have to make those decisions is pretty lousy in most cases. No, you have a responsibility as a dad, as a family, to put in that good information. Do I believe that you twist your kid's arm to trust Christ or to to be right with God? The answer is no. They have to make that decision on their own. But you need to make sure that you put in the right information and you challenge and encourage them to put it into practice. The Apostle Paul says something very interesting in 1 Thessalonians. And I don't have it all up there, but it starts uh, in verse 7. 
where it says, um, but we, that is the apostles, proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. So he's saying the apostles, all of them men, he said, we were with you and we had the same care and love and, and, and just the warm fuzzies that would come from a mom and a child. And let's face it, there's nothing more heartwarming than to see a mom with a, with a new baby. I just saw Rachel uh, Perry uh, Wednesday night with her new baby. I mean, how do you get more warm and fuzzy than that? He says, that's the way we were. But he doesn't stop there. Because he goes on and says in verse 11, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Notice what it says. We were were that warm, caring person. Like a mom. That would be a Mother's Day sermon. But he says, we were also like fathers. And we exhorted and encouraged and implored. Those words, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to go in and describe them all, but the first two say, I went out of my way. That's, that's where the words come. I went out of my way to help you. And the third one is, I showed you. The third one is actually the word witness or martyr in Greek. I went out of my way to show you the right way. That's what a father needs to do. It is not do as I say, not as I do. That is the exact opposite of what it says here. And making sure, and you all know, and I'll come back to this one again, but in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, make sure you don't exasperate or provoke them to anger. And I can tell you that it's not because you're strict. It's because you're inconsistent. They need to know where the boundaries are, and you need to be consistent about that. Number four, denial <laughs> is damaging to children. Uh, and, and I understand, all parents want the best for their children. We almost all want more for our children than we had ourselves. Anybody disagree with that? I mean, we want our children to have it good, right? Don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, thank you. Somebody answered. Yeah, we want that. On the other hand, when we put them at the top and say, I will sacrifice everything so my kids can have whatever they want, you've gone way too far. Because in truth, denial, and I don't mean denial because you're mean, rotten, and nasty to your kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying Hey, we can't afford that. My parents had no problem saying we can't afford that. I'm not, by the way, you have to understand it's a long time later. I had a different opinion when I was a kid. But a Christmas present to my brothers and I was one football or one basketball for three boys. You know what? That's what they could afford. And they probably had to work hard to even afford that kind of thing. We, we got a bow and arrow set, one bow and arrow set for three boys. You know what happens? You need to have to learn to share and work together, which is pretty cool. Uh, when you think about it later, not when you're there, later. Rooms full of toys that never get used uh, probably doesn't do anything. Fact is, we landed up making our own toys and inventing our own games 
And I was the oldest, so <laughs> I ended up being the, the guy who did that a lot of times. But uh, we, we always had less bicycles than kids when friends would come over. So we had bicycle races that you would race around the, the barnyard, and uh, you could go 10 laps, or if your foot touched the ground, you had to give the bike to the next guy. We could do that for hours. <laughs> you know, I think we went 100 laps. Well, you had to go so fast, but if you went too fast, you slid out, and then you had to. You know what? We did those things. My grandkids, give them a glue gun and some uh, cardboard. Thank you, Faye. Uh, give them a glue gun and cardboard. I go, and I'm like, Wow. <laughs> These kids are inventive. I like to see those things. Actually, give a kid a cardboard box, um, and it's probably more interesting than whatever came in the box. You know what? It's not just about toys, but it's about everything. Are we to provide for our children? The answer is the Bible is abundantly clear uh, that if you don't provide for your own family, you're less than an unbeliever. That's very clear. And uh, we are to save up and, and have an input into our children. But saying, we can't afford that, or that's not appropriate for you, or that's just not appropriate, period, is okay. I see kids that are just little kids, and they have a cell phone. I'm like, <laughs> I can remember somebody saying, so how are you paying for that? Oh, I don't have to pay for that. My parents do. I'm not against cell phones. You understand that. But is it really appropriate at that age? I'm not sure. Maybe it is under certain circumstances. But the point is, denial doesn't damage your kids. But it does teach them responsibility. And uh, it teaches them to avoid materialism. But it can also build contentment, patience, tolerance, commitment. And as already said, Avoiding materialism. Because this world is not simply material. There's much more to life than the material things. Not that they're wrong. Most of us are, by world standards, affluent. And we can do a whole lot more. I mean, I have a whole lot more that I could offer my kids than my parents ever could. And I don't, don't I, you know, that's great. I'm glad I can do that. On the other hand, I can tell you my kids would say, yeah, dad wouldn't let us. They always had Atari and uh, what were those other games way back? They always had it after the next one came out and they went to the yard sale. They come home. Hey, dad, mom, can we buy a, what is it, Atari, Faye? Nintendo, Nintendo. They have it for sale for five bucks and a and, uh, dollar for all the things that go with. Okay. Now, it was already outdated, but that's when they got it. I wasn't paying hundreds of dollars for those things. Um, and they appreciated just as much. Number five, parents or fathers are always right. Now, I know I was always right. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you laughed because that was supposed to be a joke. I had to go to my children a number of times and say, okay, dad was wrong. I blew it. Uh, I apologize. Uh, by the way, we're going to start over again. Nobody's in trouble. I, I would say, start it with, nobody's in trouble. Dad's in trouble because I let you get away with that. I've been inconsistent. And um, everybody's frustrated. And they were, including me. Uh, everybody's frustrated because we don't know where the boundaries are. So we'd start all over again. Those are pretty good meetings. But I'll tell you what, it requires some humility to say, hey, you know what, kids? I was wrong. Because parents aren't always right. Dads definitely aren't always right because 
Well, we can be a little bit dictatorship kind of people. But anyway, only God is always right. Just remember that one. God is always right. We are not. And so if you act like you're always right, you will provoke your children to anger because they're going to see every little inconsistency in you and go, but dad, you all heard that one before, but notice what it does say. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which means, and in our case, we had some really, really neat um, devotion time. We would, uh, five nights a week, we went to church Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, so we didn't have devotions Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. But five nights a week, most of the time it was me. If I couldn't do it, Faye did. She participated. But uh, we would have devotions. We had some of the best family times in devotions. Why? It wasn't dad's opinion in this case. It was looking at the Bible, singing Bible songs, memorizing verses. And uh, we read Christian character uh, stories, you know, real life biography type stories and things like that. But looking at God is right. God's instruction. This is above and beyond anything God, uh, dad could ever do or mom could ever do. So it's bringing them up in the nurture and admonition, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We answer to a higher authority. In fact, is when my kids would get this one. Say, well, Dad, you said that you're wrong sometimes. Who, who spanks you? I'm like, God doesn't spank. But what God does for us when we're disobedient and we're not doing it right is way worse than any spanking you'll ever get. Because there are consequences for not being obedient to God. Last one. This is one that's been around for a long, long time. You know what? Dad goes and he does his job. He does it well, brings home a good paycheck and does all those things. And uh, occasionally plays with the kids and has fun with them. But you know what? It's mom's job to raise them. Baloney. <laughs> that is simply not true. Do mothers help raise children? You better believe it. Do they have a huge impact? Absolutely. Do they spend more time with children? Most likely. Not always, but most likely they do. And so they have a huge impact. But to say it's mom's job, the mother's job, to raise the children is totally unbiblical. For example... These are just a couple of illustrations from the book of Proverbs. And we saw that, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 6. It says fathers. It doesn't say parents. It says fathers in those cases. And by the way, if this was Mother's Day, I'd point you to Proverbs where it says a mother has to have a big impact and a big influence and a teaching ministry to their children. But we're not at Mother's Day. We're on Father's Day. Proverbs 20, verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. You do not have integrity unless you have an interaction with your children. Proverbs 1, 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And the, the difference there is the mother is, is kind of a low-key uh, word used there, but with the fathers it's, the instruction plus the enforcement. 
And then in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandment within you. You cannot treasure something that dad hasn't given you. And hopefully later on, and I, I, I saw that in her own kids. I remember John, uh, yeah, John and Amy coming back from uh, camp. I think it was the first year they were both camp counselors at Mount Lusanne when they were on the encounter. They said, Mom and Dad, we found ourselves telling the campers the same things you've been telling us all the time. You know what? There is a difference when it comes back, uh, you know, around. Is that it's not just mothers. They have a big impact. But dads, you cannot shrug your responsibility. You have a responsibility for that. Now, when we had Mother's Day, I had a film that was a song. It was uh, by that lady uh, who sang the, the song about mothers. Well, I've decided to do my own. I am not a poet, nor do I write scripture, but I can parrot what someone else has done. So I took Proverbs chapter 31, and instead of saying the virtuous wife or the virtuous mother, I've made it. You can appreciate this, or you can say, Pastor lost his mind. That's okay with me. But I think you might find it humorous. You might find it instructive and hopefully encouraging. Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10, Paul Malfair version of a good father. An ideal husband father, can anyone find one? His worth is far above bank books and houses. His wife completely trusts him even when he's out of town or working late. His boss also knows that he is the kind of guy he can promote to a more responsible and higher-paying job. His words and his action, actions give his family a good reputation because of his blameless character all his life. He is not afraid of a long, hard day's labor. He works skillfully and effectively as unto the Lord. He looks for the right job. He earns his paycheck. He brings it home so his wife can buy the groceries, pay the mortgage, and afford the children's expenses. He gets up early, has his devotions, and gets to work before the rest of the crew so he can organize the day and their tasks for that day. He considers a stock and buys it for a retirement fund. From his earnings, he starts a college fund for the kids and plants roses for his wife. He girds himself with strength working out three times a day, mostly by playing with the kids. His ethic is that work is good. He does not just do the minimum. He tackles the hard jobs. He does not neglect the boring and monotonous. He uses some of his time to help those who are in need of a helping hand. He goes beyond the call of duty on behalf of others. He is not afraid of the snow or the neighbors dropping in or all the odd jobs around the house and the honeydew list. He makes sure is up to date. He physically takes care of himself so that his clothes still fit. He makes sure his wife has some free time to serve the Lord. He takes care of the kids at times so she can have free time to be among and fellowship with other women. He has a personal hobby that is satisfying, but he does not allow that to take away from his responsibilities to the family. Strength of character and dignity are his trademark. He looks forward to the future. He opens his mouth with wisdom to help others. 
He teaches the Sunday school class no one else wants to teach. He takes care of his household by teaching his wife and children the Word of God. He does not just sit around and watch TV or surf the Internet. His children grow up and admire him. His wife does also, and she compliments him, saying, Of all the men I know, you're the best. Position is fleeting. Power is deceitful. Prestige is vain. But a man who fears the Lord, he shall be praised. Give him what he deserves, and let God's blessing and his reputation follow him wherever he goes and in whatever he does. Amen? Let's all stand together as we close. Father, what a great God you are. And as fathers today, our best example is not another father, because we're all flawed. But I thank you that we can look to our loving, caring, providing Heavenly Father and see how he deals with us so that we can turn around and deal in the same way with our own children and our own families. Lord, I pray that if we're still raising children, that we would take this to heart. But Lord, I would also, as grandparents and great-grandparents, that we would realize that we still have a continuing responsibility to those that follow after, that our lives, our testimony, our teaching, our words, everything would be those that honor God and are good for the generations to follow. I pray that we would be the fathers that you've indicated we should be and that we would live for you every day of the life, our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Father's Day. God bless. Go with God.